0: Why do women exist? Why do women exist? So we have something
1: to kill Not for the meat, just for the thrill. Thank you.
2: My value as a man, is it valuable enough for women to pay for me?
3: I'm sure if you tried, you will be valuable I for I think someone. I've been on
2: the market all the time. I think I've been trying all the time. I think one time a woman wanted... I, I got acid from her, from having sex with her.
3: That was a direct payment.
2: That's a direct payment. So yes, I'm a sex seller. But okay, we're confused about these values between women and men, and now we are to talk to two beautiful people that actually did research on women that buy
3: sex. This is a very interesting topic. Yeah, why? because because, for example, this is interesting because it's so much debate about selling sex.
2: about the values of selling sex about... The man being the predator? or And the woman being the object?
3: I mean, that's what the uh, anti-sex sellers are kind of...
2: Okay, fuck all that. I want to be the object. I want to get to the root in, like, how can I be able to sell my kind of useless, now aging body to beautiful women out there to keep my bank account fat and my dick and sexual libido up? While not losing, while not getting sucked on by anyone, by actually gaining on it. Do you think I can manage that?
3: Yes, for sure.
2: We don't have so much more to say about that. We actually want to talk to these uh, people that did research and they will be able to introduce themselves. So uh, welcome to our beautiful researchers on women that buy sex.
3: Welcome and happy birthday to you guys. It's not birthday anymore.
2: A bipolar circle uh, have now changed and we are now the Rebirthday show. So happy Rebirthday to all of you beautiful people out there with some price tag on or not. We don't care. Just have a happy happy Rebirthday to all You that put any kind of value on you or anything around you in this great capitalistic society we learned oh yes the
3: random listeners of our podcast
2: yeah and for random listeners please uh, to keep us we are your obedient little dogs we will do the bipolar circle and the rebirthday show for you but we need food so please go to bipolarcircle.podbin.com and give us a small donation for continuing. Maybe our we podcast. can make
3: something special. I'm learning now. Maybe if you give a donation directly on our Ko-fi page, do I will humiliate myself
2: in any possible no. way you want. Oh. I promise. Just to do it, and I will do whatever. I'll put stuff in my anus. I will do whatever. I will okay. sell
3: my. I will sell exactly. my dignity exactly. for you
2: to, just to have a coffee.
3: So this month, during this month. During this month or just during these two weeks? I don't know. I, I'm just an object you okay, want. Okay, let's see. During these two weeks into our next podcast, if you donate to a coffee page, you will be able to have a private sub meeting with Tommy and he can either humiliate himself, swing his stick, do a naked show for you. Just donate and he will be happy to be your... Yeah, great, great.
2: Have a great rebirthday show. Happy rebirthday Happy
3: birthday
0: It's your birthday Happy birthday It's your birthday Happy, Happy
3: birthday, birthday.
2: you hear us or...?
3: Hello, hello. Testing sound.
2: Testing sound.
3: We could hear you. We could,
2: yeah. we could hear you. Yes, we could.
3: We still can.
2: Do you hear us? Do you hear us? We hear you. You hear us? Are you there? Are we alone in the universe? Is, uh, this, uh 4 o'clock in the night, and Leona made the interview for us to have to wake up 4 o'clock in the night, maybe. This is 4 o'clock in the night in Dusted Cabo Town in Mexico, continuing Bipolar Circle and the birthday show.
3: Tommy me sitting with his coffee and looking a bit tired.
2: A little, a little bit tired, yeah. I'm tired in my mind from... Uh, Mental stress from a very kind of intense, intense world around me. Uh, some people said it's uh, overwhelming. Mm. A friend of me called me to call it overwhelming.
3: And my room has been like a sauna, so I had a very hard time
4: sleeping.
2: Are you there? Um,
4: Sarah? Yeah, I hear sound. You should be able to hear me okay. Can you hear me okay? Yeah,
2: we
3: hear you. We hear you perfect.
4: Do you hear us? I can't seem to hear you. I don't know what's going on with my um, speakers today. Uh, ah, ah, I can hear you. Oh, thank God. Okay. <laughs> you hear us. Brilliant. Okay,
3: okay. nice. You can really hear I us. I don't
4: know what happens, but every time, uh, yeah, I can hear, hear you perfectly now. Okay. Every time there seems to be a system update, it just decides to uh, kick my speakers off. It happens on a regular basis with um, with work, so it's just a case
2: of me figuring out how the best approach is to uh, actually be able to hear. Okay, that's okay. that's cool. That's cool. Wow, yeah, we uh, you can. Can
4: you see me? See me and hear me? Okay.
2: We can only hear you. We cannot see you. Ah. So we are still trying to do the technical part of of our podcast. It's four o'clock in uh, Mexico in the night. We are sitting watching the computer screen to connect to a beautiful person in another place of the world.
4: Where? Yeah,
3: that is in UK. And uh, we
4: got one more. Yeah, Natalie will be uh, joining us very, very shortly. Yeah,
2: we actually got her on now. So... Ah,
4: fantastic, she's here.
3: Yes, and we have a picture.
2: We have a picture. Can she hear us? connecting to audio. We're waiting for uh, the audio to connect.
3: Hello, hello. can you hear us Natalie? Yes, I can hear you. Hello. Wow hello.
2: amazing. <laughs> this uh, technology never stopped to amaze me. It seems to this seems to be the thing that will save humanity. this amazing <laughs> technology connecting us to the, in this mystical, magical ma- manner across uh, <laughs> nations and universes.
3: So we yes. are in Mexico, and it's four o'clock in the morning, so we are a little bit tired still, so it could be that we are a little bit oh, foggy.
2: Four o'clock in the morning, Leona uh, arranged this interview with you guys, uh, four o'clock in the night.
3: I kind of forgot about the time difference here. <laughs> oh,
4: bless you. Very envious wow. that you're in Mexico as well, though, I must say. <laughs>
2: Where are you guys? So uh,
4: um, I'm north of Manchester um, in a little village called... Um, well,
2: near Morecambe Bay, um, and uh, that's near Sheffield. Okay, I just want to in- yeah. inform our listeners right now, you are listening to Bipolar Circle and The Birthday Show, and today we have uh, two uh, visitors at the same time, so to uh, so not get confused from the voices and the differences, can you both please uh, introduce yourself?
4: Yeah, sure. Thank you very much for inviting us both onto your your exciting show. So uh, just to introduce myself, my name's Sarah Kingston. I'm um, a professor in criminal justice and policing based at the University of Central Lancashire in the United Kingdom.
2: Wow. And number two?
5: Hi. Thanks for having us as well. I'm Natalie Hammond. I'm a I'm a um I'm a sociologist and a senior lecturer in the Department for Social Care and Social Work at Manchester Metropolitan University in the UK.
2: Wow. Sounds uh, sounds like you went to school like and uh, not a, just a typical dropout like me. We did our like research on uh, on uh, sexual sexuality and uh, conflicts uh, connected to values. Uh, connected to that and our society in our own little way with our little project but uh, we we have a little bit interest in like the ideas of values of of sexuality and values of love and it was Leona that uh, got in contact with you. How, How did you get in contact with these people Leona?
3: I think I was researching about Toppy Owens in UK that is uh, working with uh, sexual education and uh, collect fundraising for, for uh, disabled people to have a better sex life. And then you guys showed up and I found it interesting about your research. So <clears throat> your research about women that buy sex rights. That's what we're going to talk yeah. about today.
2: Yeah, today we're going to talk about women that buy sex. Um, You have to excuse us again. We are like, it's four o'clock in the night. We just woke up. We are in a (laughs) small, dusty copper town here in uh, Corona, still in Corona lockdown in Mexico. Uh, So we're trying to wake up with this subject about women buying sex because that's, I don't know, just talking about the subject somehow also makes makes, like the idea about... uh, Uh, are we like fundamentally different women and men since like raising the question like okay why is it so weird that women should buy sex and why is it so normalized that somehow like that when you talk about the subject that is like oh oh, women that buy sex then it's suddenly something special while it seems like men that buy sex would just be on kind of normal subject is this something new or have it been stigmatized by society? That's why women haven't bought sex earlier? Or w- what is happening with this new trend?
4: Well, I think you've raised some really interesting questions there um, in relation to sexuality and also women's sexuality. You mentioned about how is this a new thing? And and I guess it's difficult for us to say whether this is new because it's something that's been um, overlooked in academic scholarship and also not talked about as openly as maybe it is a little bit more today. So it's hard to say whether this is a new thing um, or not. But um, what we did was we uh, undertook research to try and find out whether we're, women were paying for sexual services. And what we found in the UK and actually in parts of Europe and internationally is that women are paid for sexual services from men, from women, from trans uh, people as well. So whilst we can't say how long it's been going on for because this is kind of the first study Uh, in the UK, that's actually looked at women who pay for sexual services. What we do know is that it's taking place today. I think you also raised a really interesting question about the comparison with men. You're right in terms of the fact that most people assume that the sex industry is is characterised by male clients and and those who are paying for sexual services from women. And that's very much characterised... A lot of the literature and also a lot of kind of media and political thought for for probably centuries. Um, But women's position in this has always been assumed to be as a sex worker and never as a client. Women are never conceived to be as the clients uh, of demand around the sex industry. And that's evident in in kind of media. It's evident politically. It's evident um, academically. And so our research tried to capture women's lived experiences of paying for sexual services in a way that has not been captured before. And it's very clear from from some of our findings that whilst there's an assumption that men and women are very different, actually, a lot of their experiences of paying for sex reflect a lot of what we know about male clients. And I think that was one of the really fascinating things um, for me personally doing doing the research and, and writing about the study, was that there are such significant overlaps, which raises questions about the distinct nature of female and male sexuality. So often it's assumed that male sexuality is distinct and different from female sexuality, Whilst when you look at commercial sex, women are acted in ways that in many instances, and not all, but in many instances reflect what we know about male clients of demand. So the reasons why they pay for sexual services are similar. The types of services they seek are similar to men. So I think that for me was one of the the really interesting things about the study was that there there are such striking similarities between male and female clients. I I don't know if you want to come in 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 their
5: nap and, um saving and even more yeah And no, just to agree really and the way that they organized um buying sex was was very similar to the way that men organize buying sex um as well especially the use of kind of digital communication technologies and the use of um reviews and seeking out kind of legitimate providers um as well but nothing else to add apart from the on the, the other stuff about yeah there were lots of similarities really.
2: But it's, it's mostly about kind of like people finding uh, sex workers online but you don't really have like a big uh, like a red light district for example with guys is it existing that anywhere in the world like a kind of red light district where women can go and pick like openly just like from multiple men male guys standing around, like or showing...
3: bordellos.
2: Yeah, bordellos, male bordellos. Leona wanted, uh, because that's interesting, Leona was actually searching money from the government of, of uh, Germany to start a, a, a bordello in uh, Berlin for women especially with, like, a kind of, like, a try to have, like, kind of character style of alternative people for women that looked for a type of special person and they couldn't, like, find that kind of, like, fantasy and then they could go and, like, kind of buy that fantasy. And they did some research on it and I found out that there was kind of, like, a growing interest in that, you know? But then I'm, like, uh, you feel uh, that it's... Uh, if if it would be in a market, for example, like a red light district with a lot of guys standing uh, or, or a bordello, an open bordello, would that also be a place where women would go and look at guys in the same way? I guess there would be. The, when you see, let's look at the Shippendales, for example, the, the male strippers and how women go crazy on that, you can see they're pretty predatory also in the same way or like... Wanting what they feel their their fantasy want in the moment, and I want this now. So it's like I don't want to play the game around it. So I just pay myself directly to the to what I feel I want. No.
4: If I, should, if I can just come in there, just because I think again you've raised some really interesting points about whether there's a space where women can um, frequent. There's a, a, a either a public space or a semi-public space or a location that women can travel to or visit like, like men do with brothels and they go to street sexy, whether that's the same for women and whether women have got that opportunity.
2: I don't think we
4: can say with any, any certainty that women don't frequent place, those places. I, I was um, out doing research back in, oh gosh, uh, maybe uh, late 2000s. And I, and I was in um, a car driving around just because I was sort of visiting places to do interviews and, and focus groups. And I was um a number of women approached the vehicle and trying to get in. So it's hard to say whether women are not frequenting those places. But what we what we don't what we do know is that from talking to sex workers who work in brothels and street scenes in the UK is that they've not suggested that women are frequenting those places. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And I think my own personal experience of that maybe reflects the fact that there is a possibility that women are frequenting these places. It's just that the assumption is, and this is kind of the, the, the way that people see women's involvement in the sex industry, this is the assumption that women are always sex workers. So even if they did visit brothels, if they did visit street scenes, if they did travel abroad for sexual services and, and visit premises, the assumption will be that they are ever clients. And therefore, whilst people may see women visiting brothels and on the street, they won't see them as clients and so potentially, what we've what what's happened is that they they're not visible and they're not seen in these spaces, despite the fact that they may be going to them. Are there really
3: a difference between our genders and our fundamental needs, as our search for food, safety, love, and sex? Are we not all searching for this, maybe in different ways? Why is this so complicated for some people to? think that women also have these needs as men have we also want sex maybe we are searching in different ways but why is it so difficult to think that maybe in a really open society women are the same as men when it comes to their needs to sex we are all different men and women we are not generalizing here though so of course not all women of course not all men but is it really based on the gender and who is abusing who? I mean, I'm a woman and I would, in a world where it was acceptable and where we treat each other nice, I would also have no problem with buying sex because many times it is complicated, even for women, to go to a bar, hook up with somebody that always comes with complications. So why not make it simpler sometimes? No strings attached. I mean, now we have Tinder and all this shit basically works for both men and women, but if you don't want to use this network or if you're uncomfortable with this, shouldn't there be safe spaces both for women and men? Uh,
4: So it's hard really to say whether the women are actually visiting locations for sexual services. What we do know from our study was that the majority of women, I don't don't think anyone talked about how they'd visited any red light district or... A brothel, they all talked about how they paid for sexual services by accessing the details of sex workers online. Uh, They would go to reputable um, sex worker agencies or advertising sites, and that's how they would enter into the sex industry rather than visiting a brothel or a street venue. But it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I mean, we know, for example, in the UK that there are street scenes where men um, provide uh, sexual services in addition to the spaces where women do as well. So there are indoor and street venues in the UK where men and women will provide uh, sexual services or access to sexual services. But whether women are are frequenting those, it's, it's difficult to say at this stage. Sorry, I just want to point out, I'm very
3: bad informed what is going on in the world because I just got internet and it's too much. The world is just too big for all the things that's happening right now. So call me ignorant or whatever because i cannot deal with everything so but it looks dark
2: is it has it been growing together is it something with uh, that it's sex- sexuality is more psychological that i know that it's uh, a lot uh, about psychology and it's a lot about like i've just seen for example like when it comes to power that sometimes uh, some uh, some women or some men even uh, will be like yeah, yeah i've if women had more power, the world would be better. But then I'm like, but it doesn't seem like, it seems like if women get power, they adopt a lot of the kind of patriarch, or what people will call patriarchic symptoms, and they will adopt that same system to their way of being. And it seems like that power somehow makes people, like, change their idea about what they're entitled to, what what they feel they can do. For example and the economic uh, independence uh, with the with the women liberation and stuff have given uh, women like the possibility to to experience the same time type of uh, reflection towards uh, how they can for example buy sexuality in a way they didn't before but then it's like also uh, there are many different ways of, of buying prostitutes like support sex work or or uh, or be part of like uh, supporting sex work in some way, uh, you, can, you can do it in a way of, of actually healing someone and you can do it in a way of actually uh, feeling that you have control over someone. So like, uh, uh, like someone for example would go to a street prostitute especially because they feel it's extra kinky or dirty or something that the person is on the street and they feel some type of economic power over this person or something.
3: During time and history, and also if you use, remember in Berlin when we were living there on sex clubs, for example, there is as many women that enjoy that environment than there is men. So it's just about in history also in Rome, sexuality was valid also for women to take part in, and women were also explicit in many ways.
2: Yeah, but it's also, uh, it seems society has made it into this idea that women so easily can find sex. Is that, is that wrong? But then I'm confused about it because like if a woman, if a woman, what kind of women then I have to ask, what kind of women do buy sex? What's your experience with that? What kind of women? Is it because they feel unattractive? Is it because they feel they want something that the people can't give them in a normal relationship? What kind of women buy sex usually right now?
4: Yeah, I mean, I can come in there and answer that. Just, just to reflect on the, the points you're making about power, I think um, I think it's important to recognise that the nature of humanity and actually, you know, many animals' power is a dynamic which is evident in many human interactions. And so, it, and I guess what you mean by power is also something it's a bit of an ambiguous term. So I think power relationships are evident in every relationship that we have with, with other humans. Um, and, and I guess um, that can happen and slip and change dependent on the nature of the circumstances. So We placed our cards upon the table.
0: We drew our lines there in the sand. We tried to make the situation stable. A set of rules we both.
4: upon because it certainly came out in our research in in terms that women felt some of the women said that they felt empowered by purchasing sexual services that it gave them an ability to um have sex in a way that reflected their sexual desires and needs so rather than it just being about someone else it was all about themselves Uh, and that really reflected in in some of our uh, findings around motivations which is kind of the question you're asking me about you know what is it that, what are some of the reasons why women pay for sexual services <clears throat> one of them was or, or the way that we, we categorize the motivations we sort of categorised them in, in four ways so the first of all was that we argued that um for many women that they were motivated with, on a functional basis so for them purchasing sexual service served, served a function so they wanted Sex. They wanted either a vaginal or oral sex and they wanted to have that, you know, reasonably soon. So they paid for it because it, it provided a function for them. They they were able to have sex. It also meant for some women that they um, were able to access a variety of sexual partners. So that might be for some women, it, it meant that they could access men who have certain physical or women with certain physical characteristics that they um, were unable to access in their sort of personal life, or they were just looking for people of that particular physical characteristic. So we, we we felt that functional was one of the reasons why women were paying for sexual services. The second was around self-indulgence, so the idea that women were indulging in things that were about their own self, their self actualization So, we, for example, we've seen you know a rise in recent years around women purchasing spa days or going for afternoon tea or Uh, having pampering sessions, that this is, again, part of their own self-indulgence in in their own personal um, lives. So they were wanting an experience, for example, that was all about them. It was about their own client-focused experience. So, for example, one woman was talking about how it meant that for her that she had an aspect of control, that she was able to tell the sex worker what she liked, what she didn't like, and they responded to what she'd said directly. And, you know, that can take place in, in um, you know, traditional, in inverted commas, relationships. But for, for some female clients, they felt that that was enabling them to have an experience that was solely about them and solely about their sexual needs and desires. For other women, and also, uh, just to add as well, we also spoke to a number of couples who paid for sexual services and women who were part of couples, either heterosexual couples or lesbian couples, um, and they talked about how for some of them it was a, a new experience for them, something that they were wanting to experiment in. Uh, some of the sex workers we spoke to, identified how a number of couples had had children, they got older in their life, and they decided to experiment in their sexuality. And inviting another partner into their couple, their relationship, for them uh, meant that they could experiment and try new things. For Hmm. other people, it was around convenience, so the fact that there's no emotional attachment Uh, to sex working so you know people don't have the kind of the baggage in inverted commas that's sometimes uh, associated with a traditional relationship so people can have as one person talked about how they had a massage and a happy ending at the end of that service and it meant that they had no one coming to their home nobody texting them no one expecting something of them it was just a purely um non-emotional attachment that was convenient and meant that it could they could fit it around their very busy lives so you know women who are busy working months for example who travel internationally it means that they can fit it around their, their busy lives another aspect of, of the motivations is around discretion so the fact that women could be discreet in the things that they were doing. So for some couples as well, you know, not having a threat to their relationship being discreet meant that they could maintain the relationship, but also that family members and friends wouldn't find out about um, what they were involved in. And then finally, uh, for us, a a key motivation was around emotion and emotional reasons. So for some women purchasing sexual services enabled them to build confidence so some women, for example, talked about how um, they'd gone through a traumatic experience. Um, some sex workers had identified that some of their female clients, for example, have lost a partner. Uh, they'd gone through serious surgery. And that meant that for them, paying for sexual services really built their confidence um, in terms of in getting back on the wagon, in inverted commas, or getting back into the swing of having sexual relationships with other people before they went into an in inverted commas Traditional relationship, so it enabled people to feel more empowered, uh, engaged in 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 sex. For some other women, uh, they were looking for what's often called the boyfriend or the girlfriend experience. So they were looking for some a a kind of a transaction that somewhat resembled a traditional relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend, but that was very much a bounded or constrained and limited type of relationship. So that they didn't have the emotional baggage, inverted commas, that goes along with a traditional relationship. What they have is a very clear transaction that resembles a traditional relationship, but actually isn't actually having all the associated parts. Um, and then the final thing that we found was that for some couples, they would pay for sexual services to please their partners. Uh, and that's come up in, in, in other studies where um, we, we interviewed one couple, for example, whose um, male partner um, for various medical reasons was unable to engage in kind of um, penetrative sex and wanted his wife to continue experiencing that. And so they agreed that they would pay for sexual services, so that she could continue to have penetrative sex with someone. Um, and the husband was absolutely fine with that. And that was part of their agreement.
2: That's like sexual surrogate, surrogate in a way surrogacy yeah, okay. and, uh, yeah but it's a it's like interesting to hear you talking about this now because it's a it's a lot of stigmatization against sex workers and against sex work and uh, when it comes to like male people uh, or men going to buy sex workers and many people would like criticize it as something uh, dirty and uh, the industry has a lot of things to criticize but it has a lot of things to make better. I, I'm a. i am really believe in fighting for the right of sex workers and uh, making the possibilities for sex workers to work in a healthy and a safe way. So, uh, but I'm also when you are talking about sex work now for women, it sounds so liberational. Somehow it sounds like when you're talking about how women use sex work, it sounds like it's something beautiful, something great, something like should be embraced, embraced by society. Is it a form of like, you think this can be a part of realizing some kind of understanding between man and woman psychologically that that can lead to maybe more like a more liberal way of seeing genders? Um, I don't know if you
4: want to come in as well on that. Um, I guess in in terms of, um, whether it's liberating. I think a number of women really used the word empowerment. I I mentioned that before, but they certainly did feel that being able to engage in an experience that was all about them, they felt empowered by that because it meant that they were able to continue to experience sexual gratification. They were able to orgasm in a way that really suited their particular sexual needs. But it also meant that for them, it was in a very constrained and limited way that fit around their very busy lives, or it meant that for them, if they had a partner or a husband, it meant that it wasn't a threat to their kind of traditional relationship. So I think for a lot of women, they did feel that sense of empowerment. That said, there were some people who chose not to take part in the study because of the stigma, and I think you've picked that up um, um, really quite well in terms of the fact that there has been and continues to be stigma around the sex industry, uh, and that permeates around the world, even where even in locations where sex work has been decriminalised um, in places like New Zealand. So there does continue to be that stigma, and therefore, for a lot of the, uh, for some of the women who didn't take part in the study. They felt that the reason why um, they, the reason why they didn't was because of that stigma. They were scared to be identified, and even some of the women that we we'd interviewed. I mean, that there was a number of women who just would not be recorded by audio, and I completely understand why. They were scared that they would be outed, and that's completely understandable. And there's you know absolutely no way we would uh, put anybody's um, anonymity in jeopardy. There were some women who. Um, would only type their messages because they were scared of being identified. So there is certainly a stigma around the sex industry, but also around women. And I remember um, when we'd initially gone to the media, because we put out a press release in the early stages of the research because we were trying to drum up participants. Then we, we have, because of our networks, we, we um, have contact with um, sex workers nationally and uh, we did go to them about, about our study. But we didn't want to push the sex workers too much in terms of providing access to their clients because obviously that might jeopardise their relationship with their clients. So we decided to go to a press release, went to the media and said, look, this is the study. We're trying to encourage participation. We knew that there were no locations that we could go to like brothels or street sex scenes to advertise the study. So we we were trying to kind of capture and, and contact women who were out there. We knew they were out there, but it was just trying to find the platform from which we can contact them. So we went for for a press release and I remember a a lady called me a few days after it it would been featured in national magazines and it was featured around the world, the, the, the details of the study. And she thanked me. She said, I'm so grateful for you doing the press release because I no longer feel like a freak. And that really, really touched me because I thought, you know, I felt awful that there was somebody out there who felt that they were a freak, that they were the only person who was doing this. (laughs) When actually, what we found was that there are more women than people realize that that are engaging in commercial sex. And I I feel um, really quite strongly that, you know, I don't think anyone should feel like a freak.
1: Am I a freak? A freak? No one should need to be a freak, but I want to be a freak. A freak agons what? A freak agons what is right or wrong a freak of nature a sexual freak a lonely freak a freak without cause a freak with a mission? Who is not a freak? You that think only you are right? You that think sex work should be criminal? You that voted the right political party or wear the right mask? Or all of us? As long we cannot take care of our planet, we, all of humanity, truly are the worst kind of freaks. All animals are saints. We are truly the freaks. Be a good and kind freak. Take care of nature. Today.
4: Um, but that really, you know, I think demonstrates the stigma around this, but also how women feel that they're, they're deviating from uh, sexual standards around what women are expected to be like, how women are expected to behave, how women are expected to behave sexually. And because she didn't know of any other women who were doing this, she therefore thought she was the only one out there. And it's just because people don't talk about it. And I think Nat, Nat and I, and I know Nat feels the same, is if we feel that we have a social responsibility to give a voice to women who are out there, who pay for sexual services, who don't want to be on camera, who don't want to be uh, recorded or audio, uh, as we experienced in our research. And so I kind of think that we have a responsibility to, to let people know that this does happen and that there are women out there who came for sexual services. And for them, they feeling, you know, very positive about this. It's, it's having a positive impact on their lives. Not all, you know, with everything, there's always going to be some people who ha- it's not as, as a positive, but I would say overwhelmingly, the women that we spoke to, it had, you know, given them much more confidence. It made them feel empowered and it meant that they were getting the sex that they wanted when they needed in a way that they felt that they could, um,
5: they could dictate.
3: Uh, you want to say something that, or
5: I have a question. No, I don't. I don't have anything to add apart from with the stigma, just to say that, so that the male sex workers that we spoke to that sold sex to the female clients, um, for lots of them, they, they, um, they they sold sex for kind of fun for enjoyment the money side was kind of secondary but they still experienced the sex work stigma even though selling sex for them was kind of more fun and enjoyment as opposed to kind of economic need they still experienced sex work stigma and for some of those men they didn't want other people to know they were worried that that lots of them had other jobs and they were worried that if their other jobs found out then that would so I found out that they sold sex, and that would impact on their other employability prospects um, as well. So they still experience this this stigma. Yeah. But I think you could argue because the men who we spoke to who were selling sex to women, for most of them, they weren't doing it out of um, this kind of real economic. their their economic situation and they did have these other jobs they could kind of pick it up and drop it so you could argue that it's not the same as the stigma that female sex workers experience those female sex workers who are perhaps this is their only employability and if sorry and only employment and if they if they couldn't sell sex then they might lose their home or they would experience significant hardship so the experience there is is different from the male from the male sex workers who were selling Um, to the women but they still experience similar sex work stigma which is obviously pervasive um across all types of sex work really that that real stigma around what people think about sex work and those negative connotations with it
1: another one goes by does she want me i would do her for free that one also and that one and that one that one i would do cheaper oh no not that one she looks at me she comes closer no ma'am no i'm not working you say I am a prostitute? No ma'am, I'm just looking after the other sex workers. Oh. She goes. There, oh no, not the group of bare gay men. No sir. I'm not working. Thanks sir. Thank you for all the nice words but could you move away a little? Do not touch please. No I'm not working. Oh finally. There is a beautiful woman. Oh she works here. Another one looking at me, pointing. Oh, they make fun about the new man on the block. I just try to do my job. There must be someone who would pay for my sexual services here on the street. Maybe I should have taken that job as a street seller, while selling more traditional stuff than my body. Hi ma'am? Want a good time? No? Night is coming. I am hungry. Please love me.
2: Well, it still is like being a gigolo. If I'm like a male male prostitute for women, I, I think uh, still society would... Uh, see me more as a strong person like it's kind of like quality
3: or at least funny they will not take it so serious or like oh poor you no
2: no oh oh, poor 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 you suppressed sex worker controlled it's like a stick that's why i talked about uh, i was interested in that before i tried to talk about before but i didn't manage to really uh, express the question and that's like the the idea about uh, that uh, that that women also have a sexuality that women also some some women actually feel uh, excitement by being a sex worker. Even they feel like a kinky idea about selling their their body. Like we we talked to a friend on the last uh, episode of uh, Bipolar Circle uh, that is working with sex work in Canada, and she, for example, find it uh, it's a, one of her kinks to to sell sex, and so she gets excited by it. But because she's a woman, uh, she don't. Uh, experience that same type of uh, of like, that, that that's a cool thing to do. She feels stigmatized for being a woman selling sex. And then I'm like uh, uh, also seeing like in Norway, for example, pornography was forbidden when I grew up, but then it started to become more and more liberal and more and more women was allowed to express that they also liked to watch porno- pornography. And because they were allowed to like express actually what they felt and was not like s- uh, suppressed into some kind of... Uh, Uh, mental bubble about what society thinks what women or men are supposed to feel, they were suddenly allowed to express what they felt through pornography. And more and more, you could find more and more women that also liked kind of pornography that men or women that studied this before would say, oh, this is really male sexuality. But then suddenly, more and more women start to like, I have friends in Berlin that likes porn movies that I would never watch. I find it extremely, like, uh, vulgar, or it's not my type of porn, you know? And I'm like, okay, but now it's, like, somehow accepted for women to say that they have an interest in it, and then, then they are allowed to express it. So it's, like, the same with uh, the with, uh, sex work, in a way, that, that women are allowed... To express that they also have a need to sometimes just have an orgasm without any, any uh, uh, like uh, talking before or any complications. I just want this, or in, for example, a relationship where you want uh, to experience a threesome without any jealousy uh, problems or like that. And that's become like more and more accepted for uh, for couples to to rent a sex worker into that, and that has been like uh, a opening for 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 us to discuss uh, sexuality outside the ideas of gender but more about the ideas of psychology maybe
4: yeah i think you picked up a a good point around you know couples and the fact that this is um it enables them to you know have a discrete relationship with a third party and then it means that they're not threatening that traditional relationship so i I totally agree about the aspect of the lack of jealousy because if people are open and and discuss this freely, then it means that they're not um, potentially jeopardising their relationship. Um, and you also were talking about, you know, the, the changes in sexuality and women's sexuality. And I think, I mean, from writing the book um, it was, that came out last year, one of the th- early chapters is, is looking at the social historical context in which the women clients that we spoke to were situated. Because obviously, you know, if we all reflect on our history, the, the decades that we grew up in, You know, they've changed substantially. And when we think about sexuality, when we look back through time and we look back through the decades through which women were born and also socialised, there have been some really significant radical changes that have taken place in the context of women's position in society, but also in terms of sexuality. So, for example, as you mentioned about pornography, that has been, according to existing research, that's been a radical change in that women are more likely... Uh, to, to use pornography than they did in the past. And it's, there's been some fascinating studies where they've compared cohorts of, say, for example, uh, 18-year-olds compared to 30-year-olds compared to 40-year-olds compared to 50-year-olds. And what was really interesting from the, some of those studies was that um, the older generations were watching pornography less less than the younger generations, which I guess suggests that you know, the, the periods from time that they've been socialised into have obviously been not as progressive. And as younger generations have have emerged, uh, their sexuality is somewhat more liberal than, say, for example, their parents or grandparents. But what's also really interesting from those studies is that that cohort effect, so younger generation compared to older generation, continues through the decades. So if you did the same test in 20, 30 years time, the outcome would be the same. So it demonstrates to us that there's been shifts in terms of um, people's sexuality, behaviours, et cetera, over time. So as time moves on, our behaviours all, all change, socialisation changes, people's views begin to change, not completely radically, but there there is transitions that take in place. And I think potentially for what we what we looked at and looking at women who pay for sexual services, we've ca- we captured a moment in time, we've captured a period by which women are purchasing sex, in a way that they may not have done 50 years ago, because they didn't have the economic financial cir- circumstances, they didn't have the same access to sex workers that they might have have now. And so, there's a, a proliferation in terms of opportunities for women to purchase sexual services, but also their their life circumstances are changed. Women are working more now, now than they did, you know, 60 years ago. More likely to have a, a career. Um, some people choose to have children later on in life and so their lives are different to what they were many many decades ago and that may have an impact therefore on things like women's access to sexual services and I think for us you know we've captured a moment in time and it may well be and I, I would suggest from looking at the historical context in which women are situated now it suggests that in 50 years time you know, sexuality will change and probably more women will be paying for sexual services in the future based on uh, that kind of historical legacy that's gone gone, gone
3: on. So uh, we established now that women do buy sex and then we have the complicated thing that, if, for example, I grew up in Sweden and in Sweden it's legal to sell sex, but it's not legal to buy sex because women are getting Misuse. That's the why they are trying to make the buyers, the vic- like the predators, and they are the bad people. But here we are actually saying women are also paying for sex. That would make it possible to make that law disappear, no?
2: Well, but uh, will will this? But if if it happens uh, abuse, for example, uh, towards sex workers, and that's the reason why 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 uh, the the male. Uh, the clients in, in, in uh, Sweden are stigmatized because they're supposed to be the predator. Uh, that's a very stereotypical way of thinking. But you, you think also like that more and more women would buy sex, that that will also lead to that more and more women would abuse? I w- like, uh, like that there would be more abuse of sex workers from women?
3: I, I think there is also sadistic women. Yes, of course.
2: Yeah, there are. I know there are. So uh, yes,
3: I mean, I don't. I that is probably already uh, a problem. But I mean, I think it, it's more showing that women also have a need to buy sex.
2: Yeah, for sure, women women have a need to buy sex, but uh, like buying things, like knowing, like okay, I want this, I want this now, can be. Positive or it can be negative. It can be like, okay, I need, I need a service to, to cure myself or I need a service to feel better than someone. For example, how you can, uh, how the SM scene, for example, has one side that is very conscious about people playing a psychological game together. And then you have the other side with like actually rich people buying, uh, poor, or buying prostitutes to, to, to suppress them and actually feel that they ha- have more power than them. And it's not a game anymore, it's actually a sadistic way of being like i have more power over you and that's what money leads to in a capitalistic society and the, like prostitution is somehow like the fundament of capitalism it's like the first way of trading something so i know i, I actually have sold myself to women i had uh, women that uh, traded things for sex with me so i know it can happen the other way And no other guys had that experience also so that's just about like the need People have like, uh, I, I have this, uh, uh, can I share this with you? And I guess this from you, like, but then, then at the same time that can, can be abused, you know, in a capitalistic society. So then I'm wondering then if this will lead to that more and more women also will like buy sex workers for like sadistic feeling of power.
4: Do you want us to comment on that? No, I, I don't know. I mean, I, it's not I mean, really a comment.
2: I'm, just, I'm trying to like I'm just thinking about uh, I'm just thinking about like uh, what, what, what what how the male side has been stigmatized, you know, how mm-hmm. w- women has been stigmatized as being the victim in in sure. sex in sex work. For example, why why are they stigmatized at being the victim? Because they're like, uh, somehow people with power, somehow people with money, that I have more, I, if I have more money than you have, I have the possibility to, to easier trade things that in your values would be harder to, you wouldn't sell it so easy if you would have more money. So you are in the position where you have sex workers that do sex work consciously, because they really want to, because they really like the work and they are people that really needs the money.
3: Well, there has always been existing male sex workers, but mainly for men before. It's Now we're talking about women, women that buy sex. And
2: that's true, that's true. Male sex workers has been existing since a lot of time
6: also. Yeah. Yeah. You say I'm not good looking But you must be mistooking Because a hundred thousand women can't be wrong Well, you don't like my kissing You say there's something missing But a hundred thousand women Can't be wrong Well, when I ask you for a kiss, baby You just turn me down When it comes to loving I'm the best there is in town You don't like my loving Or my turtle doving But a hundred thousand women and not be wrong Like my dancing or my romancing But a hundred thousand women can't be wrong Honey, you'll have to love and pet me Or baby, you can get me Cause a hundred thousand women can't be wrong Well, when I ask you for a kiss, baby You just turn me down When it comes to loving, I'm the best there is in town. You don't like my hazel eyes, you say they don't see paradise, but a hundred thousand women can't be wrong.
2: So what's the question then?
3: The question is if women also (laughs) will misuse their power over men in that thing. I don't know. It's
2: just interesting that because I I think it will be both. I think it's like, yeah, women will abuse their power. Like money uh, and power can be abused always. So like people that have that possibility will always abuse it. And people can also, when we live in a society that is based on money, you can also use it consciously. So it's like, can you t- t- tell us, okay, now I'm getting a little bit far out as again, we are in the <laughs> middle of the night here in Mexico. I'm trying to speak to you guys in English. Uh, I'm still uh, waking You're up.
4: You did a fantastic job.
2: Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. But, uh, do not get totally uh, lost in all that. Can you explain what's the title of your book and explain a little, uh, talk a little bit about what the book is talking about? Sure,
4: sure. I mean, I'll come back on a couple of points you raised, but um the title of the book is called Women Who Bisex, Converging Sexualities, which I'll come back to in a second, because we we asked the question whether we're seeing converging sexualities within within the book. And actually you've picked up on a few things that we explore within the book as well, around the fact that you know the industry has been assumed to be characterised by male demand for female sex workers. And that is very much um, reflected in a lot of political debates nationally and also internationally. There's been an assumption that men are clients, women are sex workers. And that has led to a political policy and policing focus that's targeted male clients um, and also generally female sex workers, although it's not always the case. And I guess, you know, again, thinking back, because we talked about the social historical period from which we've come from Um, and looking back through history, you know, there there have been, you know, many centuries where women's position has been as, um, you know, a man's wife and um, that relationship was very much, you know, for many women, they were dependent on their husbands. Not everybody, but that was the case. And so, you know, that view that um, women in some way are, less able to exercise their powers is a historical kind of um, position, whereas today things are very, very different. And so in places like Sweden that are focusing on demand, to me, my thinking, it's quite an archaic view to assume that women are not going out and doing this, given that society has changed so radically. We know we're not back in the 1900s or Victorian era when women were more dependent uh, financially on their husbands and were maybe not able to exercise their ability to engage in this in a way that they can do today. You know, the industry is very, very um, diverse. It's not characterised in the way that I guess Sweden would would um, characterise it, that this is assumed to be based on male demand and therefore women are being victimised by men because of the patriarchal structure Whilst there may be elements of society today where women, you know, they're not earning the same amount of men from the, some of the same jobs, uh, not all. Um, I would like to think in, in certainly academia that that's not always the case. You know, we're in a position now where women have got able unable to access services that they might not have been able to do before. So places like Sweden that are assuming that all male clients are demand to meet is is a, pretty much an archaic view. I don't know if we... I know I've rambled on a little bit there, so I don't know if that wants to come in.
7: Ah. Payday again. All my days at work. Feeling like the slave. No more. It is weekend. Hi little boy. Do you need some cash? Just lie down on your back. Don't be afraid. Mommy is here. To take care of you. To love you. To please you. Now you're my slave, my object, my sex toy. You earthly problems means nothing to me. Give me my orgasm. Touch my body suck on my tits again and again, do it, do it, too much for you, here is another bill of my wasted days of robotic work, only two, only two. have you, use you, control you, amuse you, hurt you, love you, get your dick inside me, controlling your sexual libido with my power over matter, my sex object, my love, my man, the modern world fills me with desire truth and wisdom, give it to me, here is your payment, and now I go, you cannot come with me for my ride, Here I am, God. My place of slavery awaits and you will not come with me. Yeah, I wanted to pick up on some of the points that you said before,
5: really, about this idea about will will there be a bit of a shift and will we see more women um, paying for sex to kind of exploit their economic privilege and use that to be exploitative? And obviously we, we can't, kind of predict what's going to happen in the future can we but what we found in our research was a couple of things here a couple of things where the men not all of them there was a very small minority who were dependent on the money but most of them weren't dependent on the money so what that meant were that they could pick and choose their clients and it was clients that they wanted to see it was clients that fit around their other um their other kind of the rest of their lifestyle and what part of the reason that motivated men to sell sex was around pleasure they wanted to give women pleasure and by giving women this pleasure it was about a project of making themselves feel good so it was about a project of them um kind of by interacting with the women they came to see themselves as kind of achieving these kind of masculine norms so what what you were talking about then what we would from our research what we would say is actually if men thought that these women wanted to exploit them then if that wouldn't give them pleasure then no they wouldn't want to be involved in in selling sex but now we're talking about uk no yeah so we're talking about the uk and that's another thing that i wanted to pick up on is that sarah was talking before about a very specific our research is about a very specific point in time and it's about a specific point in time and also it's about a specific place. So it was about the UK. We were focused on the UK and we know when we look at sex work around the world, we know that women have been buying sex in other countries and other relationships via sex tourism. And those are kind of different power relationships and we weren't, our work didn't look at that. We were looking very much at these women who were paying for sex where they, not necessarily right where they lived, but in the country that they lived in, so in the UK, not travelling for sex, not travelling for that different, um, different experience so culturally there might be differences yeah, um, because I well imagine
3: there's more poor people in, the, in another country like Africa or in yeah. Caribbean where they actually rich women would buy sex in another way I
2: just wonder if it would be like different if it suddenly got more women with economic power in certain countries in the world and you still had like poor countries like here but the the power shift will change so like women had more power in the poor countries also will you then get more guys on the street because here here in Latin America many people that is on the street should not be on the street actually there are a lot of people out there many people that are perfectly made for doing sex work and the do- that's the people we should protect and give give rights and the people who don't want to work with it just like anyone that don't want to work with any work shouldn't work with it they should find what they want to do with their life like she's talking about the male sex worker for example that feels like he's giving pleasure to the woman and it's part of, he really appreciates his job.
3: Or like this woman that we had interviewed yeah, we last we talked. Time.
2: we talked to a sex worker on our last show and she also feels she's uh, she feels like very in touch with her female side. She feels in- empowers her female strength she to be a strong, to be a sex worker that consciously works with sex in the way she. And she can.
4: also picks her clients.
2: Yeah, she also picks her clients. But if you like stand that's on the street, unusual.
4: that's not. It's not unusual for sex. workers. No, no, that no that's not like same. But that's, that's sex, that. But
2: that's that type of sex worker. That's that type of sex worker that consciously choose. To work with sex because they they know why they like to do it. That's not the person that, for example, desperately need to support Mm -hmm. their family here on the street in Mexico. That is like uh, uh, where the guys are walking back and forth on the street and just picking up on on young girls that need money for their their kid somehow. And there you see like that it can be pretty predatory. And that like if if the power structure would change that that women will be exactly the same, that you could have like...
3: But again, there is men that sell sex in history like to gay men. Yeah, but you don't have
2: like this huge... But
3: we also met a straight guy that was selling sex to men only for the money.
2: Yeah, that's uh, from for for fuck's sake. It's like a, it's an instra- in interest organization for for sex workers in London, and uh, the organizer of that organization he's he's a heterosexual, but he sells sex to men only as business, and he's pretty like very clear about consciously why he's doing it. And I'm saying okay, it's a very very con- conscious choice. It's not like you're pushed by a very unfair world to do a type of work you don't want to do. I'm just wondering, what I'm trying to wonder is like, is it like this because male male sexuality is especially predatory towards like the female form or can no, it change based on power?
3: I, I think it has to do with economic. It, it has to do because men, for example, here in Mexico, men has the money or have had it for a long time. In Europe as well, the men was the one that had economic to could buy things. And while the women maybe, if they were open sexually and didn't want to have a normal relationship, rather work as a prostitute. But now when the economic shifts are happening, women can also buy.
2: Yeah, that's also seen here in Latin America, that you have people working as a sex worker, like a woman that is very sexually open-minded, but in their little town, they could never live out their sexual life. So they chose like, oh, I'd rather be a prostitute then because that's the feeling. I I feel like I want to have more experience with sexuality, but my society would never tolerate it. It can only be tolerated through that I'm a prostitute.
7: For me to be a prostitute, become a male sex worker today. Why be happy with normal dating of an interesting people who only in the end will give you more headache and empty bank account? Well, the new times are here. Women also buy sex and you can be the product contact us as a way to educate yourself towards this exciting sexy new change of capitalism. Join the school of male prostitution today, not because we think you are a bad fucker, but because we think you can become an even better object and product for all our hungry and waiting lonely women out there. Call 666 male sale
2: today. So you have, yeah, you actually have kinky people working as prostitute here. In Latin America especially met, because of that.
3: I met for example when we were in Costa Rica, we met this woman that was working in a in a strip club and prostitute as well. And she said that was the only way that she could live this life because she had to choose either the traditional life, just a husband, and live with that life the rest of her life, or she choose to be independent, choose her own lifestyle, but she had to survive so she did this work.
2: So 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 ISIS so are stigmatized. Because it creates freedom, it gives you liberation that you can like, you can do what you want without uh, like a long education on a university somewhere or something. People feel, mm. p- people feel like jealous, or well, I think a lot of
4: people. Uh, the argument is that the people are being exploited and victimized. Um, yeah, but know,
2: everywhere the, they're exploited and victimized. Like, um, or, uh, sorry, beep, sure, the different sure. com- different commercial. Clothes brands that is like promoted by some of the most like fancy shops all around the world is Mm -hmm. using slave labor. Uh, Our computers we are using is mined from kids in poor countries. Why? 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 Mainly men. Mainly men. Yeah. Why? Why is why especially at uh, why is society especially attacking sex? I guess
4: it's also linked to you know aspects of sexuality and the fact that this is involving historically women are sex workers and that there's a concern that women are being sexually victimised. And if, if you think about, as we talked about, historical shifts that have taken place and the rise of women's rights in the UK, the rise of liberation that there's a concern that women are being
2: victimized through the sex industry, through their sexuality. Vic- victimized? I think- what, about, what about men? I, I have to go to war. If it's a war or something, like you have to go... I, I have to go to, to, to trial and I have to go to to court because I didn't want to learn how to shoot people in Norway. They want to put me in military. Uh, what about my, my, I'm not getting, uh, like men are not getting controlled and suppressed and pushed into stuff they don't want to do. It's like, it That's, seems like war is it's
3: a, honorable.
2: Okay, so yeah, war, war is a more clean work than, than sex work.
3: That's what society made it look like, and that's what I want to say. Maybe it's religion that made this like man, woman is supposed to be a couple is supposed to be clean sex is supposed to be something holy between only two. Uh,
2: but then mm-hmm. it's something spiritual in this. Then it's like uh, the way of, of consciousness, or like, like let's let's call this consciousness. and this 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 uh, this uh, development of women. Uh, also, buying sex in, in a capitalistic world is an extremely beautiful and important thing, and it's really great work you're doing, doing research on it. And there should be a lot more talk about it because it, uh, it uh, mirrors sexuality and psychology in a way that is uh, stigmatized and kind of like suppressed. And it feels like yeah, it's been done by religious groups that uh, have an idea about what the family structure should be or how lo- love should work.
3: Because exchange of things have happened through <coughs> before as well, like and then it was a clean exchange. like you have this, you have that, okay, let's exchange. And that was not a big deal. but
2: so, so how can we make how can we make uh, 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 buying sex for women more accepted and more more uh, tolerated in our society now?
4: That's a a big question. (laughs) I just want to, before I answer that, just because, you know, it's clear we probably could talk all day about all this, given we've been talking for the past hour or nearly. uh, Really interesting. But I just want to kind of go back to um, something that Nat raised, because it's important. And she was talking about how in terms of the economic power and um, the exploitation But we were talking about a specific moment in time and also a particular place. But I think it's also important to raise um, around female sex tourism, which there's been a body of literature prior to our research that has looked at women who travel to exotic locations, as as some of the literature says, go to those exotic locations like in the Caribbean to exploit their economic privilege. So they know that they've got an economic advantage to men in those local uh, Areas. What's really interesting again about that research is that yes, women were exploiting their economic privilege because they knew they were in a position of power to um, be able to, for example, pay for meals, pay for hotels, pay for nights out, etc. What's interesting is that the literature says that the exchange of monetary value. For sex was not direct in the same way that our research was because we talked to women who were paying for it in a direct and explicit way. But also, what's really interesting is that when you look at the literature, whilst the women were, um, you know, taking um, sexual favours for things like meals and drinks, a lot of the local males recognised that they were actually exploiting the women financially in those relationships. And the women often felt that they were in a romantic relationship rather than a transactional relationship, which is what the the local males would be more aware of. Not always, but what was interesting was that, you know, whilst in this assumption that the economic power advantage was in women's favour, actually, what a lot of the literature around female sex tourism was showing was actually that the local men were taking advantage of the women economically, and we're doing things like they would take them to their friend's restaurant or they take them to a place where they knew that they could get more money for drinks. And so in terms of the exploitation dynamic within, involved in those relationships, the argument that it's one directional, i.e. that's going from woman to man, isn't always a full and complex understanding of those relationships. And so I think it's important to recognise that exploitation can happen in two ways. And similarly, now I've been over to Thailand and spoken to a number of women who've worked over there in in some of the very well-known um, sex locations. And again, I went over with the view because I've been in, in I guess informed by what I'd read in in um, academic literature and also what I'd heard about in the media, and I was expecting to go over and meet women who were you know very much exploited by the sex industry. And actually what I found was that a number of the women that I'd spoken to just thought that um, the guys who went there were, were mugs and that they were exploiting them financially and had multiple boyfriends and that they were exchange, were getting lots of money out of the men. And whilst it's clear that for some of the women we'd spoken to that, you know, that it wasn't their career choice, they felt that that was a, a good economic position for them to be in. And it actually meant that they could earn much more money than they would have done doing traditional types of works in places in, in, in Thailand. So, I think that there's often an assumption that exploitation is just one way, uh, but it's much more complex than that. And then just to go back to the issue about exploitation again, I think it's important for us to acknowledge that, and actually just make people aware that um, we were contacted a couple of years ago by a um, solicitor, or so legal professional in um, a country, another country, because they were representing a client, a, a female client, who... I should say a woman, not female clients, I'm going to confuse me with the terminology here, but she was a trafficked victim who was made and forced to provide sexual services for other women. So again, you know, whilst I'm, we've talked about the empowerment, there have there obviously are instances where there is some exploitation of women by other women, whether knowingly or not, we don't know. But we, we were asked to provide evidence for this trafficked victim to say that women clients do exist because the legal professionals in the, in the asylum claim argued that actually women don't pay for sexual services. And we know that's not true. So I think it's important for us to acknowledge that, you know, exploitation isn't just one way, but also that there are instances of exploitation taking place in the context of, of um, women clients. Uh, But it was just, that was just one case that we heard about and actually from our research, it was, the issues around violence just weren't talked about, were they? Not, you know, exploitation of of sex workers by clients, female clients, just was not talked about in the way that that we've we've sort of read about in the literature on male clients. And you may know from your own research that, uh, but it just wasn't talked about in the same sort of way.
3: But maybe it's more like a psychological, order or they're like bullying, bullying their. Their, uh,
2: they buy a sex worker to bully their genitals. Oh, I have a small dick and stuff like that.
3: I mean, I, I think male are more stronger so physically, so then they have to tie them up first if they want to beat them up now. So, yeah. I mean...
2: My experience with women is that they're more psychologically strong. Yeah, so they're like, okay, they, they buy a sex worker to psychologically bully them. Uh, yeah, but that's like... But that's also stigma that is totally bullshit. like, we talked to our friend last time also that, yeah, there are... Uh, uh, sexual abuse happening in sex work but actually our friend that is working with sex work she said she had more abusive uh, experiences with sex outside her her work with sex so it's like you have a lot of violence in normal relationships and stuff and people have a tendency to to, when it comes about uh, sex work that they put all the problems that happens around sexuality, uh, that that is only I, happening in the... Again,
3: I think it has mostly to do with street sex workers. Yeah, yeah but I also does.
2: think many street sex workers, uh, it's not it's not like rampantly violence no, no, every day. No, no, but
3: mostly it happens there and not in bordellos or in safe places.
2: No, exactly. They have to make safe places for people to, to provide uh, and uh, and uh, get sex. The, I think this idea about that women start to buy more sex could be an opening for, for discussing how to create more safe place, places, both for women and men. Should... Yeah,
3: I think I would prefer to go to a bordello with a lot of a safe space to find a guy and fuck him there.
2: If I'm a woman now... Uh, looking for uh, a sex worker in the world? Is it some place I can go and search internationally or I can search in England for for male sex workers for women? Yeah.
4: um, So, I mean, there are some well-known platforms... So there's a couple of ways that sex workers will advertise. So there are a number of sort of well-known platforms that sex workers will advertise on. So a little bit like, I don't know, a you know, dating website that people will advertise their services. Or uh, you can just search for people's personal web pages. So some sex workers ha- don't advertise on those types of sites. They have their own personal webs- web pages. So we we whilst our research was prim- primarily in the UK... We spoke to some sex workers who are based in Canada, who are based in Australia. Similarly, some clients who were in different parts of the world as well, parts of Europe. They, they kind of were UK citizens, but lived abroad in, in uh, different parts of the world. So,
3: Sorry, I just want to know, how is the law system in, uh, in uh, UK about sex work right now? Just to put ourselves into the situation, how it's working in UK, because it's very different in many places where our listeners are from
4: sure sure so um i guess we've kind of got a, a model where it's it's partly legal and partly parts of it are um criminalized so the purchase of sexual services in the uk is legal so i could go out and pay for sexual services from somebody uh, and that's a perfect legal the illegalities around the purchase of sex relate to the person that you're pay- paying for sexual services from so if I went out and paid for sexual services from somebody unbeknown to me was forced coerced, i.e. trafficked, then I can be um, I can receive I can be criminalised under legislation. So that is a criminal defence. if you pay for sexual services from somebody who basically is um, trafficked, and it doesn't matter whether I knew that or not. I'd just be criminalised.
1: You buy sex legally. Then later find out that you bought from a sex traffic victim who did not tell you they were a victim. Then you did something illegal, even if buying sex is legal. It is just like selling two types of weed. One legal and one not. If you by accident get the wrong one, you are a criminal. Still if you are lucky to get the right one, you will stay high forever. So enjoy the ride. Or it's just, that if it is legally imported sex work, it is stamped with the import label of your home country. This will protect sex trafficking victims. So stay safe.
4: Uh, there are other aspects of the industry that, I, again, are legal and illegal. So if I wanted to provide sexual services, I can do that from my own premises, from my home, home address. I could do that illegally. The problem emerges when you have more, multiple people working in the same property. So if I invited on to work from home and I invited Julie on to come and work at my house, that is then termed a brothel and brothels are illegal. So I can work on my own independently, but can't work with other people in the same sort of way through sort of three or four or five of us. That becomes a brothel, which is a bit of a shame given that we know um, from existing research on, on this topic and also from some of the anecdotal experiences that Nat and I have all have had from various support agencies that we've worked for over the years, that sex workers working together can mean that their sexual safety and their physical safety is more likely to be upheld. So... Um, in the UK, there are parts of it illegal and parts of it are criminalized. Unfortunately, as I say, that working together means that um, for sex workers, that can mean that they are likely to fa- yeah. face a couple of events.
2: And for the research, for you guys also, like now it would have been really interesting to put up a, a bordello with uh, different options for women and see how it would have been women on the, like, the fast food market you know, not the women that sits at home and like, oh, I want to experience this or that with my boyfriend, or I would like to have this sexual experience I never had before with this special type of person. But actually, just like go in the street or go, go into a house with like a day. De- I don't know if I want sex today. And just like, oh, that guy, I want
3: right now. I, I want th- him. I think I will go for the fast food market.
2: That's the. I think that also would be more for. I know a lot of women, my because... friends, that I would like the fast food market. Because I,
3: if I don't want a relationship, I just want to pay for sex, I would rather go for a bordello because I feel it's safe and I have more choices and it's less complications.
2: Yeah, I think also like, uh, I think you would see a lot more women uh, checking out uh, uh, sex workers if if you had organized bordellos where women also could feel more safe to go alone, for example, there and just go and see what, yeah, okay, go and take a drink and see what happens. You know, maybe it's a cute boy on the club tonight, but it's, uh, if you don't have that possibility to... Org- Why? Why can't the sex workers organize themselves and be together? It's the same in laws
3: we talked to a woman the last time in Canada.
2: No, in Canada, it's forbidden to be to buy sex. Like no, you know. no,
3: she could also sell sex, but she could not have a friend selling sex in the same house because then they were could be sex trafficking the same thing
4: as she explained. Yeah,
2: uh, exactly exactly. Yeah it's it's uh, it's really bad for your research.
4: Yeah I mean not having those sorts of venues what what's interesting was that I was actually told uh, very old, early on in the research that there was a premises in in London where this type of uh, activity took place but I never found anything more about it so whether that got closed I don't know. I mean parts of uh, if you go to places like Amsterdam and um, that's there's probably more likely to have those types of venues there. But I'm I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, some of your listeners might, may well be aware of venues where women can go to to access those types of services. I don't know if you're aware of any of those locations, Nat. But-
7: Look at that one. Golden skin, right? So beautiful eyes. Strong body. I think I want him. What do you think? Could he fulfill your fantasy? He could try to fulfill mine. I think he looks too weak. He do not have the right upper body strength. I like that one. So small and cuddly looking. Well I have to see his penis. And I need to hear his voice. It's a big turner for me their voice is too female. I like it manly. I think I want that one. That one looks too pale for me. I like them brown. Not too brown though. That one, he looks nice. Nice? Do you need a nice one to really care for your vagina? I think your pussy would prefer that stud there. Or what? Are you looking for a boyfriend?
4: I guess for us that meant that it was really challenging for us to then therefore get access to women who just weren't physically out on the streets accessing street sex workers, weren't physically at premises like brothels, etc. And so that meant that we had to be uh, quite creative in terms of how we try to access women clients to take part in the study. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it did create a bit of a challenge for us because that meant that we, we you know, we couldn't frequent those those premises. That said, um, you know, we, there were different strategies that we employed to try and access women. So, for example, there's been some research on strippers and strip clubs that's identified that women have offered to pay strippers for sexual services before. So there's been some research back in the 1980s where um, some authors found that women had offered to pay for sexual services and similarly. I think it was in Bulgaria um, back in 2011, there, there was evidence that women had offered to pay strippers for sexual services. So
2: Definitely, I've seen this uh, on the shows that women are definitely ready to do the fast food shopping if they could.
4: Um, I think that analogy um, kind of came out a little bit in our research findings, to be honest, because I remember a couple of the participants had talked about how they were looking for people with very specific physical characteristics. I remember one woman saying, you know, I've never experienced um, sexual relations with someone of a particular ethnic origin. And she was interested in the person's um, physical characteristics in a way that she'd not experienced before. So she certainly went along. And I remember one person talking about how it was like, a. I think they they used the term of having a gourmet style menu, that they had a very specific things that they were looking for. One woman talked about how she was looking for a Mediterranean god. another woman it was about somebody who is tall, tall dark and athletic and that she was only interested in purchasing sexual services from men that very that fit that very specific um, physical characteristics she was looking for so certainly the, you know some of the women we spoke to were absolutely looking for very specific types of men with anatomy that was of, of a particular size etc so that's definitely the case and similarly as well women who were looking for sexual services for for other women I remember one woman talking about how she was interested in women who were blonde who were very um curvy and also had large breasts. So, you know, yeah. women are certainly looking for specific characteristics in men and women.
2: You're making me very happy now because I I, I was not uh, really, I didn't, when Leona tried to make this idea in uh, Berlin, I was uh, doing other things. I didn't do so much research on it. But now recently I've become more and more sad about the value of my male sexuality uh, and I'm getting older and stuff. And I was like, okay, I would like to be a sex worker and like uh, give my sexual services to women. And I think I can maybe do it through, okay, I was part of Fuck for Forest. I'm this like weird guy. Do you want like a, a kind of different taste, a different experience? You can choose me. But now I'm like, this is a, I think this is a growing industry. And I think I want to be like uh, more like uh, Mama, uh, papa, pimp papa. That would be like the papa of the of my whorehouse with the cute guys. You can maybe help me to like find find out a li- little bit of research about modern women, what's the more like the, the 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 popular kinks, and we get all the stereotypes, and we can get all the underground uh, uh, like uh, boys, and I can be like the the organizer. That sounds beautiful. Uh, uh, I think it's... Well, just to a- let
4: you know what, what women were kind of looking for in terms of the services that they were seeking. So um, I think the, well, the, probably the most common thing that women talked about was, first of all, massages. So a lot of women wanted a massage before their sexual services, or it meant that they had a happy ending at the end of the massage. So massage came up quite a lot. As did oral sex. Oral sex came up um, with a lot of the women. They were seeking uh, that service from sex workers. And as well as that uh, penetrative penetrative sex, and that's uh, not using, or not all the time, but not always using sex toys. So women were actually wanted to be penetrated by um, someone with a penis. Um, So, you know, oral sex, massage, and penetrative sex were the three key things that a number of the women we spoke to were looking for.
2: Wow. So yeah, it's been an amazing ride with uh, you two. Here with us, we are getting, in the end, uh, I got my conclusion what I want to do with my future. Uh, right now, I, I got my business idea pretty clear. I see that I still still have a mission on the planet, <laughs> and has to provide uh, modern women with the sexual pleasure they have the money to, to pay for. And uh, since more and more women are getting that power and the uh, possibility to act out their sexuality in a free way, uh, then for sure uh, in, in a world where money controls everything, where we have to buy uh, water or food to survive, for sure. Sometimes we can also pay for sex uh, if we need that, and uh, I think uh, it should be provided a uh, a safe uh, uh, space where women also can go and, and look at guys just directly, like uh, a, a fast food place for women and see how that would work on the, on the female psychology. W- what would you uh, uh, advise to a uh, woman that sits out there now and listening and is interested in, uh, in uh, sex work or there? They have a kink they want to experience how, how is it uh, should they embrace this new time
4: an well, interesting question i think i'm glad you raised it actually because we're currently working on um, a health and safety kind of advice booklet for w- women so one of the things that we wanted to get out of the study was to be able to give something back to the women that we'd spoken to but also to other women who were deciding to go out and purchase sexual services. So we're developing a, a health and safety guide, which is based on the experiences of the, the women we spoke to and also sex workers to say, if you want to go out and purchase sexual services, here's the, here are the, the few things that we would suggest you think about and reflect on if you decide to do this. And So, you know, for example, some of the sex workers um, and, and women we spoke to gave us some really savvy advice. You know, one woman was saying, you know, if you're going to um, hire a hotel room, my advice would be to get a room that's got a um, a disabled access room, it's got um, accessibility, so there's a window on the ground floor and also there's a cord for help in the room. So I thought there's some really great advice that women have got for other women who decide to go out and do this. And I think, you know, if, if women do want to pay for sexual services and, you know, based on the women we spoke to, it's, you know, understandable given that people have got time constraints. Our advice would be to do your research um you know, contact that sex workers in advance. be clear about what you want and what you don't want. have very clear boundaries and agree that in advance. Um, some some of the services in the UK provided the opportunity to actually meet the service provider a couple of days before so that you can build that rapport because obviously meeting somebody for the first time can be quite daunting. Um, Another advice would be to, you know to ensure that you use you practice sex, safe sex. Uh, I don't know what other advice you've gotten that from thinking about sort of sexual health and, and uh, yeah, how people can
5: say Yeah, it's just basically general sexual health advice. So uh, using condoms, always using condoms, um, reminding ourselves that if somebody does offer you unprotected sex for a higher price... To really ask yourself, who else are they offering unprotected sex to for a higher price? And thinking about your own safety um, with with that as well. And also, if if something does happen where you think there has been a risk, then going to see a healthcare provider, going to see a sex going to a sexual health clinic as soon as possible. You will you not will not be judged. Um, that's the best thing to do is to seek um, medical advice if you think that something does happen um sorry something that has happened where you might have put yourself at risk around your your sexual health. But also back to what Sarah said, around negotiating those boundaries beforehand. So spend we spoke with our the people that we spoke to, they organized all of their sex um paid for sex encounters online so very different are the types of things that you were talking about kind of this fast food market kind of going to the i can't say it the b- bordello um <laughs> so quite often there were quite long and protracted exchanges with people on email so using that time to negotiate boundaries to negotiate and understand what your boundaries are sorry to make clear what your boundaries are but to also really understand what the sex workers boundaries are and that means that by the time you get to the physical face-to-face meeting, some of those awkward comments everybody else is prepared to do and what everybody's looking
2: for. You're breaking up a little bit. Are we losing you? Hello. Yeah. I, are you here? No,
5: you have frozen on my screen. Okay, there
2: there you are. Okay, yeah, no. <laughs>
5: yeah. I am still here. Yeah,
2: okay. What was the last... Uh, can you repeat the last thing?
4: I think you were doing, we were talking just again about uh, being clear about boundaries, your own boundaries as a a female client but also to ensure that you understand the boundaries that sex workers have for example some sex workers just don't want to provide kissing services they don't want to kiss clients uh they have other boundaries that they're not happy to provide certain services so it's it's clear it's important to make sure that you have those boundaries understood at the outset so that the awkward conversations when you get there don't need to happen another thing that people do is you know about payment so pay providing payment at a certain time so that you know going to a rue hotel room and saying, I you know, I need the money now, or can we exchange the money now? It doesn't become an awkward conversation that you agree that in advance. It may well be that, you know, you provide the money in an envelope on the on the dresser or on the bed or something that the person can check when when they feel comfortable. So it's just it's making sure that you have those agreements in place before you actually go to meet somebody. It just makes the 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 um the experience less awkward in in, in conversation and also you know you might want to think about the location so um you know do you want to meet at a public place if it's the first time we would encourage you to think about meeting in a public place because it might make you feel a little bit more comfortable than for example inviting someone to your home or meeting someone um in a place that you're not comfortable with so ensuring that you're you're in a place where you feel happy and safe that you're engaged in this And there are other techniques you could employ. So I mentioned before about the sex work, you said about getting a disabled room. Another thing that you could do is to um, ask for room service 30 or 20 minutes into your service booking so that someone comes to the door at, say, 20 minutes' time and provides drinks or some food or something. And it gives you the opportunity then to say, actually, this isn't working for me, I'm not happy with this, or actually, I want to call it a day here right now. And it just gives you the opportunity to to, I guess, reassess the situation to make sure that you're comfortable with everything that's taking place. So I have,
3: um, two, so I have two questions just very fast. first. All these precautions is because they are afraid that their, their um, sex worker will do something against them in a way that they don't like.
4: It's, it's just general dating advice. I mean, the things that people talked about were just around dating in general. I mean, it's I, dating I, in I, general, I'm right? Too, I mean, I mean, I've mean, i known friends who've gone on to various um, dating websites and traveled to locations and put themselves in not very safe situations. And I think, you know, for women or men in general, this type of advice applies to, applies to everybody. Yeah, it's yeah. Just that Tinder, I mean, Tinder. T- sure. Tinder
2: stories like people uh, meeting uh, abusive uh, people online. This is not only applying sex work is actually very, very good advices for any kind of new interaction you, you need with people you have no idea who is, that you just find online in yeah. the cyber world.
3: My second question was just about his health, sexual health. So when a woman give a man a blowjob, they usually use a condom, a prostitute or a sex worker. But when a male a Sex worker are giving oral sex to a woman. Do you recommend people to use like a plastic sheet between, or how do you do this in a safe way?
4: So, there's um, you can use what's called is it a dental dam um nap. Um, so it's basically protection over the woman's um, sex organs again, similar sort of thing to a condom, but it's specifically for women. So you can use things to protect yourself sexually. And it's, it's a good a practice because obviously, you know, people have got, um, you, could, you could have, um, you know, a, a, I forget the name of it now, cold sore. Is it cold sore or I forget this. the medical term, term for that uh, now. But, you know, there are things that people are maybe not aware of. And, you know, the general population, when we looked at research around this. Um, you know, the general population are more likely to engage in unsafe sexual practices compared to sex workers. The advice that we're given is because sex workers are very savvy and they're knowledgeable in terms of how to protect themselves and stay safe. Many of them are not you know not everybody is, is practicing safe sex is what kind of what we've found. Um, but you know we're trying to encourage those safe sex practices and also just be aware, you know as you rightly point out, you know, it could be advice for anyone who's engaged in dating, Because I've known many people who've taken risks that they probably shouldn't have done when they were dating. And that's um, the decision that they made. And actually, this advice could could well be really useful for them going out and and dating people on Tinder and various other platforms.
2: Like uh, sex workers are professionals. So many times uh, they know about uh, how to do things in a more safe way, bo- both in a in a way with the interaction with the people and all, also sexual health. So like many people in uh, going out, uh, meeting random people in the city, uh, having unsafe sex in an unsafe uh, environment, many times actually uh, has a higher level of an unsecurity than going to a professional sex worker. So mm. I'm like, uh, to all you women out there, uh, that uh, is uh, looking for your special orgasm and uh, have been told by society that you're s- you're supposed to find it with your beauty and sexuality on some kind of dark uh, uh, club somewhere. No, you are a modern woman now. You can go out and get exactly what you want in the moment you want it. It's beautiful when it happens by itself also, but you don't need to take, take the just what comes. You can also have that power <laughs> to buy that beautiful, perfect body with that... Uh, Exactly that ethnic skin that you want, and get that person to do exactly what you want.
4: That's really interesting because it came up a couple of times with the people that we'd spoken to. And I I remember a few women had said, you know, that they'd gone on dates, they'd gone out on a Saturday night and they'd gone drinking and out with their friends and they'd met people and been really disappointed when it came to have sexual relations with the person they just met on a drunken night out. But actually, what they're getting from a professional sex worker is they're getting a reliable service they know what they're getting into, they can be very clear about what they want. And also it means that they can, as you say, pick people who fit with a very specific characteristics physically that they're looking for. So for a lot of women, it meant that they um, had an experience that was very much focused on them rather than going on a one-night stand that isn't always really, really great, can be disappointing and means that actually the cost is the same as they would have spent paying for uh, the services of a sex worker.
2: Great. So the conclusion should be uh, sex work is here to stay. So let's work for uh, sexual rights and more women should go out and try their, their newborn liberational feeling of actually uh, buying a sex worker. Get that uh, guy, have that power to choose when you want that guy you want. So go out and try it, girls. And I will do my best. So like if you need help uh, sooner or later to create like uh, a bordello, for women in London, I will be there right away to help you out. I have some good ideas on that. Uh, I guess you also, Leona? Yes. So, thank you. Thank you so much for coming. It's been a great birthday show. Uh, thank for you. everyone, That all, all modern women out there that uh, feel they haven't been satisfied enough by that boring uh, disco guy you met uh, randomly on a club yesterday. No, you... Don't need that shit anymore. You can come to my Bordello uh, in half a year. Uh, I will have international uh, coverage on that. Just check out uh, Bipolar Circle at uh, podbean.com. That's our uh, podbean uh, podcast website. And uh, thank you so much to Sarah and Natalie for coming to us. It's been great to have you you with us.
3: Thank you so much.
4: Yeah, no, we really appreciate you taking the time Perfect. to interview us on your Perfect.
2: show, and it's been a fascinating uh, yeah, hour so, and a half. sorry, sorry for uh, I'm still waking. I actually need like two hours with coffee and cigarettes in the morning just I to like tell. poison my body even more to force my consciousness to one more time deal with this amazing reality we are all living in. So I'm try. I'm now. I'm starting to get up, you know. So like I have so many <laughs> extra questions I actually wanted to ask you about, but maybe we can uh, in uh, half a year or something when we did some yes, uh, right. uh, uh, extra research, talk to you guys again about the same subject because it's so much to talk about.
4: Yeah, I mean, we'd so be more, yeah, I mean, more than happy to come back and talk about the cool. sexual health advice that we've developed as well. So you know, and this this actually what we've talked about is really a drip, a drip in the ocean. Yeah, it's just. A, a fraction of what It's, we've it's a drip out. in the ocean,
2: it's and my mind is like so full of questions and so much confusion at the same time. And it's still five now, it's five o'clock in the morning here in Mexico. And Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, and it's Thank been you. a great birthday for all Happy liberational birthday. women out there Happy that birthday. wants to have their orgasm. Go out and buy yourself a prostitute today. Happy, Happy birthday. birthday! Happy
3: birthday. So, back to what is going on more than shit. So with Folk for Forest, we got this month, these last two weeks, a lot of nice, sweet donations from new sexy friends that we actually met in person for once in this pandemia. I guess that was the good part for these two weeks. The rest had been a downer. And Tommy and Lona has been on cold front for the last two weeks or more. The cold front is in between rain, thunder, storms, and sometimes in in the clouds there comes a small sunshine, but it's been dark. So what's going on with Fuck for Forest and the Bipolar Circle? Bipolar Circle will soon broadcast a new podcast series with Tommy and Leona and behind the scenes and history and more what the fuck is going on for you that wonder we are still doing interviews and if you want to be part of our podcast let us know we will still try in the short future maybe in a week start with some live events and if you want to be part of this there are going to be more updates on our twitter account and on our page where you found this podcast, hopefully. Okay, tuning out. Stay tuned, check in and listen.
2: What I realize now is that never, ever wake me up four o'clock in the fucking night to make a rebirthday show. I'm not working at all. Normally, if I've been awake for many hours, my brain is still not working. Being awake for 15 minutes... My brain don't work. I didn't manage to ask any questions. I didn't find the book. I wrote some few questions. I looked for it during the show, but I was too fucked up to be able to find it. And I have so many questions now, like how many people did they talk to? Did they ever themselves visit a sex worker? Do they have any private uh, experience with this? Why, Leona? Why do you put me in a situation where I have to wake up four o'clock in the night to do an interview?
3: Well, there was some problems with our time difference.
2: Some problems, yeah, okay. Well, yeah, those time differences made, like, a very important into you, like, about women buying sex. A lot of my questions, I hope you got to ask most of your inter- interesting questions.
3: I still have a lot of questions in my mind that I could maybe not clarify totally but yes i got to know what i kind of needed and what's like it's kind of obvious though of course women also would like to buy sex if they could
2: yeah of course and women will buy hand grenades and guns and poison and they will also fuck you over if they're in the government and have control over the, all the police that fuck you over even including women police that many times are the worst fuckers if they get you in handcuffs somewhere because they have that power. So maybe it's power that makes people abuse power. I don't know. And women can be even more power hungry if they have money. Maybe that's why men try to keep them away from having money for so long time. So many mysteries of this fucked up
3: universe. So maybe we should stop using blaming one gender for for things
2: yeah let's blame humanity I know I'm I'm a, I'm a, not a sexist but I'm a, like a racist in a way towards the human race towards all of us little fuckers on this little planet trying to make so much problems as we can for each other during our pretty short lifetime actually while we could have lived in love unity and harmony together but that just sounds like fucking hippie shit no?
3: Sounds a like hippie shit, but somehow deep down there, it would be nice.
2: Well, but it wouldn't be a cool movie with head exploding, some vaginas dripping. It wouldn't be that. So no, sex but, uh, and death, welcome. No, Welcome into our great consciousness. That's what we like to pay for, at least. So this was about paying for sex if you're a woman, want to pay for sex. This program of the Bipolar Circle and the Rebirthday Show. Thank you. Thank you for listening, for not going to bipolarcircle.podbin.com and giving us a little bit donation for for a little bit of eating. We are now starving while we are talking out on the great, powerful internet about the subjects that should be interesting for you since you are listening, or if you are listening anyway, you have no life and... We can't give you that air on Bipolar Circle and the Rebirthday Show. You might have to kill yourself first, and then you get reborn.
3: Well, we are looking forward to soon make uh, live events where we will have other kinds of things happening, like...
2: Like direct suicide online and dissection uh, of human bodies. No, I don't know, just hugging, like hugging online on radio. That would be, well, cool that would be kind our, of boring,
3: ra- radio. <laughs> so join
2: us next time for our hugging, uh, everyone hugging together, or for the great morbid, sexual, violent feast we will do. What will you pay for?
3: Will this with be with video or with this just be sound? Just the, to know. We,
2: like. we, we have to make it with you also. So until we get our video camera straight and you will get all those sexual, all our sexual tension and violent tendencies just fucking ejaculated in your face. Have a great bipolar Rebirth circle. Day. Rebirthday show. Yes. So. So.
6: Walked through this town With the light from the street lamps shining down Cobblestone speaking of time endless sage Old shoes squeaking like cracks on the stage bring back the pain and starts dragging me down once again you were a waitress and i was in love like so many